To another episode of the Frio Music Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Chris Caligaris, aka God Laser. Chris has been making music for a long time. Since a young kid, he started out in a death metal band and has since evolved his sound. He is now performing solo and is producing some heavy, funky electronic music. He calls it ancient future bass funk. So stay tuned. And enjoy. Sure, my name's Christopher Caligaris, and I go by God Laser. We're going to rewind the tape back to the beginning. What is your first musical memory? So I have, uh, my first musical memories are with the piano. I, I have a picture of me in diapers at two years old, and I have this look of bliss on my face. And ever since seeing those pictures from my parents giving them to me, I've realized those deep memories of the piano were definitely true. And, and you remember it? Being I, I do remember. I do remember. And, and eight was when I really consciously decided to pick up an instrument and start to develop my craft. Um, what instrument was that? Guitar. Okay. Um, I had found my dad's dusty guitar in the basement of a home with a friend of mine. And we said, wow, actually it's very similar to your guitar. The, and... We said, wow, let's try to learn this thing. And we didn't know. We didn't have teachers or anything. So we put it on our lap and put our thumb, you know, that normal thumb technique of sitting on your lap trying to figure out how to bend notes and play them. And we would listen to our favorite songs. My mom had this room called the music room. And she dedicated that room just to instruments and and listening. And so we would listen in the music room to uh, different tracks. And the first albums I ever bought... Uh, was Rage Against the Machine, the self-titled, and Pink Floyd, The Wall, and Jimi Hendrix, Experienced. And those three albums really influenced me. And after that, the Deftones. And I started to listen to these songs and try to learn them by ear. Uh, I didn't look up the notes. I didn't look up tabs. I tried to figure out what really was going on when I held the seventh fret was that really the sound that was coming out of the speaker when I heard it and over experimentation over time I would learn these songs without looking up the music um, so that was the beginning definitely and what year were you born uh 1988 88 okay mm-hmm. and did anybody lead you to those albums that you purchased? Um, so, actually, I I grew up in upstate New York. I was born in Colorado, um, but my mother was a professor of dance, and she taught at Alfred University, where I was a university brat for a small while till I was about 11. I moved back to get to Colorado. Um, but in that time, there was one store downtown called the Music Alley, and they sold CDs, and and... We would go in there and look at CDs, and we were so young. I mean, this was the beginning of, of everything. You know, we hardly had the money to buy those CDs, but we get it somehow. I remember holding a birthday party and asking every kid to give me five bucks so I could buy the wall. It was $50 <laughs> Damn. back then for wow. a two-disc. Two okay. <laughs> and uh, so the music alley, I got I to gotta give it up to that little store, us going in there and thinking it was cool, you know, looking at posters and stuff like that. You know, I met you at Sonic Bloom and you you crushed it and but not only that you you talked. You talked with the audience and the media team and and one of the interesting things that you had mentioned was that you started your touring career in a death metal band. Yeah, yeah, how I did. How did you start there? Okay, so yeah, so as my music career progressed, of course, metal were part of my roots with Rage Against Machine and Deftones and stuff. And I slowly started to want to become that type of band. You know, I wanted that band. I wanted a metal band because I was attracted to the energy, to the breakdowns, to the drumming. It was insane. Uh, so I moved away. And when I moved away, I moved to Colorado uh, Colorado Springs is my hometown. Um, and in 
the school there, I met a few people, jam mates, that changed the way that I played, one of them being Sean Rogers, who's currently in a Nordic death metal band touring in Russia right now. He's playing in Russia, which is amazing that he's followed that path and continues to do so and is becoming so successful. I think that's so cool. But me and Sean used to have a practice spot near the airport in Colorado Springs, and we could play as loud as we wanted. And I had two full stacks, 5150s with the PV. I had just so so loud that he told me my drums are getting drowned out chris like <laughs> I, I you need to turn it down a little bit but we would experiment there with just really loud noise and mostly metal because that's what he liked to play and i liked it too but i had a rock and blues and jazz background i listened to a lot of different things and of course my aunt uh plays cello first chair in colorado symphony um, so there's this whole classical side of my family, and and her identical twin sister is my mother. So there's been performance in my family ever since I could remember. I actually took my first steps on stage at the Lon Chaney Theater because my mother was doing a performance there. So, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've been trying to work on my act and trying to make it awesome. When I moved to college... Uh, that Nordic death metal band, it was called uh, Tribes of Asher. And we toured all over Colorado. I mean, we went everywhere. And we were sponsored by Rockstar. We had uh, cool fans that actually would come and help us, like, load gear. And it was just um, that kind of level of musicianship. I don't think there's any other genre that attracts that kind of um, loyalty, you know. Uh, and, and I've missed that a lot, that genre, metal. Um, but when I moved to Boulder, it was a dance scene. It wasn't a metal scene. And I, I lost my roots. I, I thought, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I don't have the metal scene that I knew so well. Uh, I got to reinvent myself. And I knew metal bands in the scene here in Boulder, like Black Acid Devil. And I would start to open for them as Godlaser. But it was a DJ act, and it was a harder DJ act. It was a heavier DJ. It was it was proper for a metal show, but it was electronic. And that's where I bridged the gap. I was like, oh, I can bring my metal riffs into this into this project and do what I want to do and make people headbang, and it still be a dancey thing, which uh, later evolved to dubstep. Uh, and I was developing dubstep sounds in a, in 2010. Uh, so dubstep wasn't that big. Uh, actually, the first dubstep glitch sounds I was was hearing was actually Vibe Squad. And Vibe Squad, when I first heard Aaron, which he started doing the project around 2008. Uh, I said, wow, who is this guy? What are these sounds? Wow. And then I saw the glitch mob for the first time at Fox Theater. And I said, whoa, what are these guys doing? I feel like I'm in a pressure chamber. This shit is off the hook. Like, it's so intense music, but it's dancey. And there's everybody's here, the whole demographic. Um, so that was kind of the roots of the transition from metal to electronic. And some of those early DJ sets... Uh, obviously, you put in a lot of work beforehand, so it's a, a majority, I would imagine, is pre-recorded, oh, loops and layers. So I got, how did you do that? Yeah, so I I got into the program Ableton. I was on Ableton Four. That was the first time I ever got on that program, and I was mixing Daft Punk and stuff in there, and I was doing late night DJ sets in it. But I realized the potential of the crossover between live instrumentation and um, and DJing, and I started to experiment because I'm a band kid, and and so I started jamming. Actually, in the old days, I would have all of my instruments on stage, and I would pick and choose what to jam. But I would be doing a DJ set at the heart of it. And, and I kept experimenting with this. Um, I actually entered CU's Battle of the Bands with my axe god laser. And I placed third against bands. And I thought, how am I doing this? You know, I'm just one person on stage rocking out. Um, but I saw the potential. I saw the future of music there. I thought, you know, I can't quit my own band. You know, so yeah. I could do this forever if I wanted to. And so I put all my eggs in it. 
you know, nice. and I started to really experiment with sound. And the first um, sounds that I ever produced for Godblazer was from a completely experimental point of view. And I wanted people to experience something darker, but but experience themselves through it. And, and I didn't really know what the project was going to be then. I was very open. And I started uh, actually experimenting with the loudest sounds I could find. Um, one of them being a mistake that ended up carrying through every album I have. Um, I had listened to a sound that went through my mixer. I accidentally put my headphone jack in the input jack, and it was a mistake. And the feedback loop that was created was so loud that I threw my headphones on the ground, and I said, wow, my ears were ringing from it. And I thought, that's the loudest sound I've ever heard in my life. And I said, I'm going to record that sound. I'm going to record it, and I'm going to try to capture it, and I'm going to try to make it chromatic, and I'm going to try to play it like a piano. So I recorded the sound in Simpler in Ableton, uh, which is a, a, a program where you can take any sound and turn it into a piano roll. Uh, and so I took that feedback loop and I cut out all the high end, everything that really hurt me, the screeching sound. It's basically the same sound when you put a microphone too close to a speaker and everyone shudders from the sound. It's a horrible uh, experience. But if you take away all the top end and you just leave the low end from that frequency, um, it has this insane uh, effect. It's, it feels like the bass is moving your shirt. You can't really hear it, but you can feel it, that kind of sub game. So I started layering that low end bass with dubstep uh, bass lines over top in the mid range. And that's how I got my God Laser sound. instruments came from that experimentation nine years ago and every album I'll keep those sounds in the mix uh, just to keep that going you know and so so you're using that feedback sample yeah the feedback still to this day in, yeah, in new tracks day. that you're producing still this day that's my low end on on every sub track you'll hear and that's my little piece of magic and my my little ingredient and every producer does have their ingredients you know to make them who they are um, um and i i keep adding new synths and new sounds but i keep the old ones um just so you can have some consistency consistency with my albums you know um and I haven't found a bass that's louder than that <laughs> to this day. It's a little hard to handle because it's not always in tune, right? And I really have to mess with the tune of it to make it right, but it, it makes it even nastier, honestly. <laughs> so, so each song, you're, you're, you're fighting it in a new way. Yeah, yeah, totally. The layering can cause... Um, it to the word grime, in my opinion, stems from that grinding against those frequencies, and that that riding that grind is what makes it grimy, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, tell me about the evolution of God Laser. When did you first uh, call yourself that? Yeah. So um, actually, originally it was a duo. And it was not a single project. Uh, my friend Sean and I, we were on a motorcycle ride up in the mountains, and we had decided that we wanted to become international DJs. And we said, well, we got to start with a name. And we, we wanted to attract the ultra culture. I mean, the people who really get down, the people who leave their judgments at the door that are there for the show and, and there for the music and not for anything else. And at first, Sean told me, he said, cultural deluge i like that cultural like a cultural wasteland you know and i thought that's pretty cool but it's hard to spell you know people <laughs> people might not get that right away and i was just sipping a root beer and it hit my head like lightning god laser and i said to sean i said what about god laser and he goes that's pretty cool and then we went back and forth cultural deluge god laser cultural deluge god laser that is cool let's go with that and um I did maybe one show with Sean before 
he decided that he didn't really want to be a part of God Laser. He wanted to do his own thing called Fodog. Uh, and I said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll still play together, um, but I'll keep the project going. And he said, that's cool. That's fine. And um, actually, Sean doesn't doesn't DJ anymore, um, but I've kept that, that DJ name going forever now. Nice. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to stop, honestly. And when was that motorcycle trip? Um, that was 2009. Okay. Yeah, 2009. Nice. So you're just out of high school? Yeah, yeah, I was getting into college, uh, freshman, into sophomore year. And did you summer. go to CU? I went to CU. I actually went to CU for astrophysics, not for math, uh, not for music, um, but for math. But math is music, you know, at the oh, base yeah. of it. It really is. And breaking those rules, you know. Um, yeah. So, so did you stay the astrophysics course? So I I did and um I I loved it. Black holes was my favorite class. Um it it satisfied my deepest questions of the universe. Um but I also studied I had a minor in philosophy and a minor in evolutionary biology and ecology. Um so for me it was like black holes tells me where the black hole is. Philosophy tells me what's inside. You know, um, science can only take you to a certain point where uh, then you have to experiment in a different way. And I found the electronics scene to be one of the best ways to experiment with metaphysical reasoning. Totally, man. Uh, and do you have any philosophers that really stuck out to you in courses or yes, um, studies? Yes. Uh, I, I actually... I actually performed for the philosophy graduation ceremony. I did a song called Metaphysical Understanding, and I brought my full stack amp to the graduation ceremony, and I sang a song for everyone. And it was about um, the great question, the, the, the great unmovable mover at the beginning of time. I mean, we're talking about the higher higher consciousness. And in my song, I was talking about whether or not that exists. Uh, and the question of that, the mystery of it, the unmovable mover, someone who can't be moved, someone who maybe perhaps or something perhaps that that put this all in motion. And uh, I, I, I loved it because they they all laughed during segments because I hinted that psychedelic use and whatnot to try to figure that out. You know, uh, and it was it was good. It was a good uh, time. And I'll always remember um, that breakthrough the, personally, because now music for me is this continuation of a philosophical journey, you know, of not knowing and trying to know your universe better through creation. You know, yeah, that's great. Uh, well, I just have to interject this little piece because I recently came across an, an Alan Watts book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alan Watts. But I, I sample him all the time. He's awesome. He's in my first music video. Okay, great, great. Yep. And uh, anyways, his insight was, you know, the first people with telescopes who discovered that the stars are not necessarily singular, that it could be a galaxy. And so his question was, was it a galaxy before they discovered it? Right. And or was the discovery itself? Did the dis, uh, the per first person who realized that this is like a collection of stars invent a galaxy? Like, were they there before we saw it? The unmovable mover. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a such an interesting question. I actually contacted Mark Watts, his son, who uh, you know Alan's gone, but I asked him and and cleared the sample because I use his work uh, and. He said, go ahead. I, and I said, cool, man, because I really think your father has a lot of good things to say. And I think people would hear it more if it was over some cool music. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, that's great. I, I really appreciate that. Tell me more about uh, how you see a connection in math, philosophy, and music. Obviously, music is a collection of frequencies. Frequencies can be broken down into wavelength and distance and, and time. Uh, but how do you mesh it all together? Well, frequency, vibrations, this is the 
structure of our universe on a super string theory uh, level that is everything. We are all just vibrating springs at different frequencies. And the same happens with music. These are all different notes vibrating at certain frequencies. And I don't know if you study cymatics, um, but it's the study of how audio waves affect the physical and you can actually see shapes and designs at certain frequencies that are beautiful mandalas and designs from that right frequency vibrating and when you break that frequency just total chaos so i think that's happening inside us when you emit a certain frequency i think the cells in your body the water everything is vibrating in tune with that and that can can really heal you or or maybe open your your body to something you never have before some people believe that the pyramids were originally a, a way to heal people through sound that that by bouncing these frequencies off the walls in a certain way would would actually cure ailments i totally think there is some unspoken magic uh, there and I constantly try to see uh, what my music does to people. Bass frequencies can heal. I think that's Aaron Videsquad's whole thing is that through bass, he's helping heal the masses. And whether they know it or not, their body is they're getting in tune. And that I think will just allow us to create more beautiful things, better things that we've ever imagined. And that is a harmony. Uh, that extends beyond just music. It's a harmony between people, you know, and that that can resonate across the cosmos, in my opinion. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah. And and tell me about uh, your belief of music bringing people together. Like, is nationalism where the end? So again, math, language. I mean, I remember one time I had a. Uh, a cook at a Korean restaurant that I bonded with very well through math. We didn't speak uh, through English because he didn't know much English. He knew Korean. But we could do math together. We could do a math problem together and get by just fine. I think music's the same way. It transcends our barriers uh, so that you can communicate effectively uh, without the same language. I think it's a language that supersedes our languages you know, the music language, yeah. And um, perhaps, I mean, look at Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. Ba -da 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 -da. That's how they talk to the aliens when they show up. That's the only way they know how is through frequencies. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so your, your sound has evolved over the years with your knowledge. And what are some of your favorite tools? You mentioned Ableton, but are there any particular plugins or... Uh, tools that you gravitate towards? Yes. Um, I got to give it up to my man, Il Gates. Dylan showed me a lot of cool ways you can sh make shortcuts happen with really awesome macro plugins. You can make anything happen, really. It's an infinite um, stage. And I think that's where uh, I find the limitation. You have to limit yourself because you can do everything. You can do an infinite amount of things with all these different VSD plugins. You can do anything you want. So then you got to think about what you don't want to do. And, and that gets you more into where your box is. Um, plugins, I use so many different kinds. I like, okay, a few of them. Yeah, please. The CLA-2A compressor for vocals, guitar, all that stuff from Waves. Man, that thing's a, a, a savior. I love the Pugue Child series, the 600s, the 500s. Those are $10,000 units, like huge. They made a room dedicated to this kind of thing, and it's a little VST plug-in now you can drop on your track whenever. I mean, that, that's incredible what they're doing now. And some of the algorithms that they have for these plugins are better than the outboard gear now. They don't have problems with artifacts and sounds that that may have gotten in the mix that you didn't want so the so the atmosphere is so clean digitally um i use um the l1 
ultra maximizer. I use the L2 ultra maximizer. These are waves uh, compressors. I use those limiters. I like them. Uh, I, I also use um, different plugins for stretching and time stretching and, and uh, different, different ones for um, st like stutter edit for creating weird vocals and choppy stuff. And I can actually set it up so that I can play uh, the effects on a pad in real time so then I can chop up something the way I want to chop it up in a musical way instead of it just being a math way I can actually play the effects that are being applied that kind of stuff is is revolutionary I use a fade to gray that my homie Spectre I, he doesn't do music much anymore but the one of the first sonic balloons I went to at the Mishawaka Amphitheater he played and uh, he actually dropped gold dust. That was the first time I ever heard gold dust. And I thought, who is this guy? <laughs> and I got his fade to gray um, that he made himself. And I've been using that ever since. Um, it, it, it cuts out the low end and the mids. And then it delays in time with the master clock. So then you can just take out sounds instantly with a turn of a knob. Um, I still use that to this day to mix sounds in and out. Um, so over time, all the producers that I've really loved, I've reached out to, and they usually give me this or that, a little goodie, and uh, I have a, a sick template now of all those pieces from different people over the years. Great. Uh, and so given that you have infinite possibility, what do you choose to work with on stage? Right. So narrowing it down to what you really want to do, because I, I remember the first time I, I did the... Uh, a show for Vibe Squad, and I brought out <laughs> so much gear, it was ridiculous. And I thought, I, I got, a, I had a lesson with him, and he's like, dude, you know, people would respect you more if you brought out less, actually, because being a, a ninja with your gear, I think, is impressive. Like you can you can bring out everything under the sun, but are you gonna actually play all those things during the set? I don't know. You might touch it once or twice, but maybe it's just there for show. Dialing in on what instruments you really need, and then I I went back to the bat and I said, okay, what do I How small of a set can I actually make this and turn this into? And he said, you know, you're gonna be traveling, you're gonna get on buses, you're gonna get on planes, you're not gonna want to bring all this gear around with you everywhere. So he he told me, get a controller with some really nice fade knobs, some really quality knobs, some really quality faders, and some quality buttons. If you have those three combos, then you can map it however you want to map it and throw down actually harder than you ever have. And, and he used a little Zone X2, um, but I actually went... I've always been a big fan of, of bass nectar, and I've been a big fan of the of throwing down in a digital way. I've always, when I first saw him at the Boulder Theater, I thought, wow, he's doing this crazy set with this thing that's like the size of my backpack. And I'm like, what is going on here? And it, it baffled me how he was doing it. I thought, how the hell is he setting up scenes? I actually would video him and try to check it out and see what he was doing. Um, and it was only until I talked to uh, Ill Gates, who helped Lauren change from CDJs to an Ableton set, that I started to see the way that he makes sets happen. And I actually got to open for Ill Gates in Oahu uh, in Hawaii, and I picked his brain a little more then. Um, but it was only until I sat down with Vibe Squad that I really learned how he was doing these new age shows. And there is a difference between the way these producers are throwing a show together and your normal DJ who's just spinning tracks together. He, he told me, you want to line up the transitions in a way that engages the crowd. You want to find the most engaging part of every song that you have and get that part narrowed down because then you can move through these different songs in a fashion that, that causes a breakdown. And everybody knows that when you hear a vocal, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, Boom, right into the one, right? That one is so powerful. And I, I asked Aaron, I said, what works over and over and over? What do you see that works really well with crowds? How are you? And he goes, 
that when you set up an eight bar drop right before the one with any vocal sample into the next section that people are going to really latch on to that it doesn't matter if you're a musician everybody can attach themselves to the voice and so they can they can get it da 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 boom and that anticipation is actually what causes music to be so cool because everyone anticipated the boom and that is what makes your set fire if you can keep setting up those situations over and over and over and over now you're just you got you got them in your hand like a basketball and you're just dropping them left and right you know and and now your set's gone from okay we're listening to your song to okay we're listening to the best part of your song into the best breakdown into the best part of the next song and that's how you make these new age shows pop and after you got that down then i like to add live instrumentation on the mix on top of an ad lib by ear uh and that makes it live you know people gravitate to that if i'm holding a guitar up and i'm playing a riff right before the break just like the vocal and i'm building that riff up and then i hold that note right before the one ba da 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 boom right into that oh my god now all of a sudden that amped up that section even more and and that's your ability as a musician you can really make those moments count and make and and when you hold a guitar up in that moment people hold those horns up they know what to do you know and and that's your job as a performer you got to engage them and and help them feel that moment more and then when they're done with your set they go damn i got to go to that again <laughs> <laughs> and next time it'll be different because there's a live element. Right, and you set it up in a way that you can change it every time. And I do. I change my sets every show. It's never the same show. I could never pull off what I did before because you allow that little live section, those live element sections. Are there certain crowds that tend to resonate differently? Yeah. So And, and do you ever drop that and nobody's on the same page? Yeah, Um I was I was talking to Yeti actually backstage at my last show with him at the Fox, and he, we were talking about the progression of sound and people's ears and everything. And uh, he told me back in the day when I put a set together, I would clear a room out. People were just not ready for that type of music. But now he says I can drop a bass line without a snare, without a kick, and everyone's screaming their head off where that didn't work before. I think. Um, Staying in touch with the layman ear is really important for you to engage people and city by city, uh, the East Coast, the West Coast, uh, Hawaii. I found big differences in all of those scenes. And, and I think what really um, what you have to do is know your crowd, know, look out in the crowd, see your age group, see who's there. And, and then I'll start to tailor my set based on the energy levels, based on everything. And, and again, like I said, when you set up a set in a way that it's always different, instead of having one set that fits all, um, you have the freedom to do that. Uh, I'll play Boulder and I'll play more jam stuff sometimes. Then when I go to Denver, I'll play hard electronic because that's what they want. And if I do this like weird jam section, they lose interest. But in Boulder, if I go too hard, they'll be like, ah, I lose interest, you know, because there's a lot of band kids. So every scene, um, same with Hawaii. When I showed up in Hawaii, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I, I talked to the people that live there and they go, they like it hard and bassy with no lyrics at all. And I said, OK, well, then I got to switch up my set for this. Uh, and, and again, if you make enough music, if you make enough different genres, like I do, I get bored. I make every genre, uh, I think I've tried at least once. Um, then you have an arsenal. You can just pull from that and kill any crowd, uh, which I think is the goal. You know, I, I asked a lady, I said, what's really killing it in your opinion? And, and she said, if you can do everything and do it well and make it fit all together, that's killing it, in my opinion. Yeah. So you call your music ancient future bass funk. That's right. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I, I, 
I kept making my music and I kept thinking, this is not dubstep. This is not glitch. This is not drum and bass. This is not tech house. This is not future house. This is something else. This is this is a, a grander idea of mine. And I've always thought that music, I could either be a copycat and make something that everybody makes and find a crowd that likes what that is and kill that crowd. Or I could be on the forefront of music, be on the wave that people maybe not understand or see yet, or maybe myself, I don't even understand. And and so I tried to set up my music in a way that drew from the past, but also included the future. And And I thought, ancient sounds. So I'm going back in time, thousands of years, I'm using scales that were way old, like Shibarak scales from the Middle East that are just thousands of years old, um, but hit me spiritually. And then I'll, I'll mix those with future bass lines, future kicks, future snares, future hi-hats, all the stuff that makes it boom and bang. I'm going to mix that, the future. And that is the future is loud. I mean, it is. I, I talked to Jason Hahn, and I, I said, if you could go back in time, where would you go, and what would you tell them about the future? And he said he'd go back to Beethoven's time, and he'd say, you think you're top of your game now? Try being top of your game in the future and drop a bunch of dubstep on him. And I think he'd, he'd have his mind blown. And I think that's where I'm at. I want to be a time traveler uh, in real time. Now. Uh, the future, the, ba- the past, and now. Right now. And so um, that's where I get my name. Ancient, future, the bass, and then the funk part is me as a musician, the the live instrumentation, the the funkiness, <laughs> and that's me being a human, uh, you know, and that's where I get the name from, the genre. Great. And you may have already answered this, um, but where do you see music going in the future? Like right. 100 years from now. Yeah, so um, I think it's weird that Jim Morrison predicted this era of music. He said, there'll be men with laptops, running, you know, not laptops, but he said a machine. He said there'll be a man with a machine that's that's music. That's the future of music. And he was right. I mean, here he is. There's bass nectar on a machine running the whole show. And I thought, wow, he, he saw that. What's going to be the future? In my opinion, we're already starting to experiment with virtual reality. Uh, Paris Hilton's already done a virtual reality DJ show. I mean, it's just weird, the stuff that's happening now. And I think what's going to happen in the future is a a more immersive experience with maybe all of your senses in a digital uh, world. Uh, Perhaps a VR um, festival or something like that where you'd experience sound in a totally, like, disconnected, connected way. I, I see that happening. Do you imagine that people would actually be together or would people be attending the festival from all over the world simultaneously? You know, that depends on whether we let our new machines run this world or whether we run the machines, <laughs> you know? And I think we're getting to that point where we're feeling more comfortable with plugging into the Matrix than running the Matrix, <laughs> you know? And perhaps that will be that way. You might be sitting on your couch tuning into Sonic Bloom all weekend <laughs> through a VR thing, you know? <laughs> I could see that happening, which is kind of sad in a way because I think there's a part of it of being human and suffering through that sun. <laughs> and, and, and the hailstorm hail. during your set. Yeah, exactly, that, that makes it so amazing and so beautiful. So I hope that doesn't. that's not the future, but I'm scared it might be. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so your most recent album, Every Breath Precious. Tell me about it. What was your intent creating it? Wow, that's a deep one and and a a close one to my heart. Um, My father had stage four throat cancer recently, and he beat it. He beat it. Uh, It was a scary time. Uh, I thought I was going to lose my dad. He lost his voice completely. He was in the hospital and he pulled a piece of paper close to him and he wrote on the piece of paper and I didn't know if I was going to lose him that night and he said every breath precious he wrote it down on the paper and I read it and it just brought tears to my eyes I thought 
that that's the name of the album, you know, because I wanna I wanna make that message go even bigger to everyone, so everyone knows how precious their life is, every moment, every breath. You know, you could have it taken away just like his was. And uh, he didn't pass from it. He's still around. He's beating his best time running. And he smiles so big when I, when he talks about that album. Uh, he shared it with all of his friends because he, he, he was the inspiration. some vocal samples on that album are some of those vocals yours ah so i've worked with yes some of those vocals are my own i've worked with other singers as well um and everybody i think the best songs i have are collaborations in my opinion why is that um because two people's energies that are that have good intentions to create something beautiful when they come together those intentions are amplified and that i think a lot of times if you can work together you could create stuff that you would never create alone is it like constructive interference in a scientific like in a wave yeah kind of per- thought perhaps or or perhaps more harmonies you know um created through that process that creative process you know um i've worked like for for example camera lights action that song ariel robinson she's an amazing singer her her sister plays in the reminders i mean it's just family talent it's in your blood i feel like there's two types of musicians there's the ones that learn how to play and there's ones that they just have the gift it was given to them they don't try it's just in them and she's one of those people. I recorded that song in one take. It took one take and we were done, you know? And that kind of talent to me, that's real talent. And when people listen to that song, they feel that. They feel that talent. And I think that's what makes that song great. It's not me. I made a cool song. There's a cool house track under it. It didn't really have a lot of feeling until she, she belted on it. And then it was all, it was a work. Same with Moonbeam, um, Desiree. She she sang on that track. I had created Moonbeam and released it for a year before she sang over it. She sang the song, and and sent it back to me, and I I went, wow, like this song is ten thousand times better than it was. Um, and and that's one of my most played tracks, and it's because of her her passion and my passion, and that created an even bigger. Shoot into 
have a routine or a pattern that enables you to get into a creative mindset? Ah, yes. So this is one of my favorite. Um, and I'm glad you asked this question because that's my favorite question. Creative process. Um, recently, I've moved to the mountains to get, a, get uh, to Netherland, Colorado, okay. to, to get away from a lot of the energies that I was feeling in Boulder and in Denver and Front Range. It, it's all amazing energy, but it's intense. There's a lot of it. There's so much creativity flying around. It's so easy to get lost in your own creativity, too. So what I find um, that I needed was a break um, from those energies, and I actually went to the mountain and stopped listening to music for a second and stopped playing music for a second and really just tried to release my thoughts, release all of my ambitions, release all of my, my ideas and become a blank slate and really push all of my thoughts away. And I went to the top of this mountain and I sat there in meditation with, without any thought in my brain. And there in the silence, in the stillness, in at the top of that mountain, I opened myself up like a receiver. And this is where my whole name comes from. I believe I, I'm not a god or anything like that. I'm a god laser. I'm I'm a antenna. I receive information because I'm open to it. So I, I opened myself to it and I I I blanked my mind and then all of a sudden, a, a melody just comes through straight to my brain, the most beautiful melody I've ever heard in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm just, wow, This from nothingness came this explosion of just the most beautiful melody. And then what I'd have to do is I have to sing it to myself. Once I get, once I receive that melody, then I sing it, sing it, sing it to myself all the way down the mountain till I get into my studio and play it exactly the way I received it. Exact, not changing it, not, not making it better or worse, just trying to receive and transcribe exactly as it was received. And after that, I'll take that melody and start building a structure around it, building drums, building this, building bass, whatever. But I took that melody and I, I made it a flute sound. Um, and, and, and from there, I try to preserve that raw that raw information. And for me, recently, that creative process has has led to the best things I've ever made. The best things. Um, yeah. yeah. So is it typically melody first? For me, it's either, it's, it's, it has to be something that can be sung from the heart because that, I feel like, is the point of entry from which the, the purest things come from if you can sing it then it's infectious you you can sing it to yourself you could hear it in a song and sing it later then all of a sudden it becomes a part of you um better than anything i've made not from that kind of um origin yeah. great so tell me about that meditation that you're doing on the top of the mountain or meditation that you perhaps do daily i'm not yeah. Do you practice daily? I or I practice meditation? and my see my dad's an atheist, my mom's a Buddhist, Zen Buddhist. So it makes me very pragmatic. <laughs> you know, I I uh and and I'm very open to whatever. Um and so meditation's a way for me just to find my center so that I can be stronger when I'm awake in my waking mind. And I think it's 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 a powerful tool if you can use, if you can learn how to harness its power, um, uh, I think creatively, uh, a point at which you come from a still, a still point is is so powerful. You can shake the world with that kind of origin. And do you have a mantra or a particular type of meditation that you do? Um, I do breathing um, exercises to stop what they call macchio just random thoughts they're like clouds thoughts are like clouds the brain is like a machine that makes those clouds and you got to just start to watch them go by instead of attaching all your feelings to them and just watch them go by and once you start doing that you start to realize that those are um meaningless in a way 
and then when you when you can remove all the macchio from your brain then then i f i find that you're at a, a point at which you can dive off from you know that's pure you know and raw and i i found that people connect to that uh more easily that's know? great and so when you get back from the mountaintop with this beautiful melody that you've received, what's the first instrument you pick up? Is it the keyboard? Usually the piano. Piano. Um, but sometimes the guitar. I remember I was making a, a funk track in my head, and it started with the, the voice. I, I was with my bandmates, and I said, I said, okay, we got to do something better. We got to do something like... And then I was like, wow, that's sick. So then I went to my guitar and I tried to... And then I'll remember that riff over and over and over and over. And then they'll start to do their magic and all of a sudden it becomes wicked, you know. But originally it came from just me singing from the heart, you know, that feeling. And uh, I think that's... that's uh, You can never go wrong starting there, you know. And is there a particular time of day that you like to make music? Yes. Um, some some people say the best songs are made at 5 a.m. <laughs> and I don't disagree. They're great. Some of the best bangers that I have are like 5 a.m. Now, tracks. is that the... Late night, or is that the beginning That's of your day? That's the late night. Like, like some some of my banger tracks, like the big heavy ones. There, it's always from an exciting night, and then into the studio, and then into the morning hours. You know, and trying to express that energy and that excitement into the song. I've had a lot of success doing that. Maybe going out to a show that really inspires you, and then instead of sleeping on it. Just going right in the studio and starting to write the way that you want to write. I found a lot of, of inspirations come through that. You may not be able to finish the song, but at least you could create the bone structure of it and then return to it the next day, and that feeling is still there. But personally, if I really want to write a song well, I'll start um, actually early morning, and and I'll start with a fresh mind, and and I'll I'll work at it, and then continue, take breaks, but continue. I have a I have a thing with my music. Once you get your creative process down, your your once you get like the way that you make songs down in a fast way, that workflow actually it enables you to create in a, in a, a really uh, great way. So once your workflow is fast, then you can get your ideas out. Boom, 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 boom. And I actually finish songs, start them and finish them in the same day. Um, I won't do mixing or mastering. That, that'll be a separate thing. But at least the song is there and in my opinion sometimes when I try to make a song and I stop and I come back to the song it's a different song it's a different feeling it's 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 like painting you got to paint you got to get that picture out on the on the canvas and then there's the original intention and and don't mess with that because that is beautiful that part of it is what people are going to really love and and uh, I think people that over edit that that go back over produce a song, over EQ, do all these things later can really ruin what you actually made in the beginning. Um, so the faster the better, in my opinion. But then all of the EQing uh, finesse, I'll sometimes I'll go back and add cymbals, hi hats, splashes, all the 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 parts that make each section more accentuated. That stuff can be added later, but. The drums, the bass, the melody, the voice, get those things down quickly. Uh, and then the feeling is, I think, there. What about producing music in different types of moods? Uh, yeah. Do you particularly gravitate towards producing on a sad day or a joyous day? Or, or what yeah. calls to you? Yeah, you know, emotion, uh, in my opinion... The best songs, again, that I have are times when I was emotionally charged in one way or another. Sad, angry, happy, 
whatever, but the feeling that you have, if you're feeling that so intensely, I think what you can do, and it's amazing, uh, and actually I began making music in a, um, in a way that was very self-healing because I was able to transform the energies that I was feeling into a work of art that then created new feelings that helped me get over whatever I was doing. I remember one time my dad spilled some paint in the garage, and I, this was when I was living with him, and I he got angry at me. He was really angry at himself, but, you know, sometimes you blame others for stuff that you do, and he blamed me for something that he did himself, and I was so angry. I was so pissed. I was like, gosh, why? how could you do that? You're the one that spilled this paint, not me, you know? And so I went up into my room, and I was furious and i'm like okay turn up my my monitors to level 10 hit my piano b note heaviest bass note i can fucking pull off boom the house is shaking from this b note and all of a sudden i'm so angry and i'm getting it out on the piano and i'm recording it meanwhile i'm recording it while i'm doing this and i'm setting up some nasty ass beat and i'm just playing over it some crazy loud bass notes that actually turned into my song onoke and and at the end of it, I felt better. I felt like I got what I needed out. And then what I was left with, instead of hurting someone or breaking something or breaking the wall, what I ended up was with a banger track that actually had so much feeling in it. play that song out people get so crazy to that track they start freaking out and i'm like yeah man that's how i felt when my dad blamed me wrongly for that paintball and every time they don't know it but every time i think about that it's so funny. <laughs> that's great yeah that's great and it can happen with sadness uh, i've i remember i was so sad i mean a lot of songs i are breakups or different times in my life where I was really feeling lost. A lot of my songs are about people that I've lost, like their their lives, they're gone. Um, I have a few songs that I've dedicated to family members who have passed, and when I'm grieving, when I'm sad, I write. That's how I get through it. I write a song for them. My aunt just recently passed, and that night I went went in and I started writing and it was a sadder song um, in melody um, but it was a happy drum beat and I think that's where you can really feel something and make someone else feel something is that through that sadness the the other side of it the light side of it, the positivity the beat that keeps you positive but the sad minor melodies that you're throwing over it can can make you feel redeemed you know it's redemption you know, feel like you're whole again and and when i play that it's funny i have a few songs that are dedicated to my grandmother who was a soprano singer who gave me her baby grand piano on her deathbed and i wrote songs with that piano and she was born in oahu and when i was in hawaii i played that song on the beach for her and I swear, I felt her energy smiling down on me, saying, wow, you know, feeling that song, knowing it was for them, and it just made me more whole than I can ever describe. And, and that, 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 I think, is so powerful, so powerful, you know. Um, and it continues uh, to, to be powerful in my life, and uh, I don't think I'll ever stop writing music um, that directly relates to my life and the lives of others around me. 
Yeah. Great. And and what is one of those songs or the song that for your aunt that you created? Um, so it's not released yet. Okay. Um, and actually, it's the title of the new album. Okay. And well then, hush, but hush. I don't mind. I don't mind putting okay. it out there. Okay. Because it's almost done. It's very close. That's exciting. And, and I've been playing out the songs, even though it's not released yet. Uh, um, but the album's gonna be called Electric Caribou. And, Great. And that's that's uh, my ode, um, to my aunt, and also an ode to Nederland because of Caribou Ranch and. All of the thousands of artists who have recorded up there, uh, I felt that energy too. And this was my take on it. This was my contribution of my electric caribou. (laughs) Great, great. And what advice would you have for a younger musician starting out today? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't feel like that's an option because that's when it ends. Great. And what was the song for your grandmother that you played on the beach? Ah, okay. So Camera Lights Action, actually, the song uh, that I mentioned earlier with Ariel Robinson, the piano on that track is from my grandmother's piano. And every time I play that one, I think about her. What does the future hold for God Laser? Oh, it's bright. Wow. This year, more than ever, I've gained some momentum, and it just fills my heart to the brim. In two weeks, a promoter is going to be flying me to the Big Island to play and headline Candyland and also My Bar Kona, July 12th. Uh, It's just amazing to see across the world people hitting me up and saying i want to bring the god laser experience here i'm ready if you want to bring it to your town hit me up i'm ready to play i'm ready to share this for a long time i wasn't i was in the basement criticizing my music to no end but now i've seen what it can do and how it makes people feel and i feel like i'm on a mission now and i'm ready to play that's amazing. And what are some good links and connects for fans and promoters out there who are looking to hear more of your music or reach out to you? Sure. Godlaser.com, G-O-D-L-A-Z-E-R.com. You can contact me through there directly, godlaser at gmail.com. I'm my own man. I'm my own manager. I'm my own AR guy. I'm my own everything. I've worked with labels locally, but if you want to book God Laser, you're going to be talking to me directly. I'm a, I'm a game player. So hit me up. Um, online email's the best. And uh, for those fans out there and listeners who want to hear more of your music, Spotify, Apple iTunes, yep. SoundCloud. Yep. All of those. Every platform I believe I'm on out there. Great. And last question is for you. It's open-ended. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Hmm. I guess the last thing I'd like to share is look out for the new album, Electric Caribou. It's coming out soon, and this is my best work yet. Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Frio Music Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, consider donating to our patron program. You can learn more about our patron program at friomusic.com forward slash support. Even $1 a month can help us pay the bills and create more quality content for you. If you enjoyed what you heard or gained any tiny nuggets of wisdom from the show, please leave a comment and rating on your preferred podcast platform. Please take a minute to rate the podcast now. Your ratings really do make a huge impact on search results and can help other people find the show and the music that we feature. If you really love the podcast and don't want to miss an episode, you can subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released by visiting freomusic.com forward slash P. Or if you really want to type it all out, freomusic.com 
forward slash podcast. That's F-R-E-I-O-M-U-S-I-C dot com forward slash P. If you know somebody who might enjoy the content of this podcast, please share it with them. Your contributions and support make this podcast possible. Until next time, stay tuned. Sunlight on it.